If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So you know how tons of kids want to be princesses, right? Like there's Sophia the First and Disney movies. I know, you know, my my, my daughter, uh, four-year-old Ruby, actually wants none of that. She wants to be a professional golfer, she says right now. <laughs> and she's also been telling people she wants to be a professional t-ball player. And uh, And when she does ballet, it's honestly like less delicate and more aggressive than any style of ballet you've ever seen before. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I love Ruby's ideas. And you know what? I actually believe her. If she wants to be a professional golfer, <laughs> I believe she will be a professional golfer. So, But anyway, I, I'm glad Ruby's got her own ideas. You know, the funny thing about history is that people have always looked up to princesses and, you know, tried to imitate their style. And one really strange version of this was the Alexandra Limp. Have you heard about this? Mm-mm. So so the limp is named for the Princess Alexandra of Denmark. Now, initially, she had a scar on her neck, so she started wearing a choker to conceal it. And immediately, all the fashionable women in society did the same thing. And overnight, chokers became all the rage, which I guess makes a certain type of sense. We see this kind yeah. of thing happen. But, but then when Alexandra had a bout of rheumatic fever, that left her with this pronounced limp. So people actually started trying to imitate that, too. And and they weren't being ironic with this. It's just <laughs> fascinating to read about. So they purposely started wearing mismatched shoes to imitate her walk. And then shoemakers even got in on the act. They started selling these one tall-heeled shoe and one low shoe as a pair so that you could get a little bit more of that <laughs> natural Alexandra limp. I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, how long did this last for? I think it was maybe a season or two. And, you know, most commoners thought that high society folk looked like idiots. But uh-huh. you know, the BBC reports that there was a fashion journal that called for an immediate end to the trend a year or two after it started, I think. Instead, they suggested, quote, the skirt of the season, we are informed, is to cling closely round the feet. In consequence, whereof ladies will be obliged to walk as if their feet were tied together. <laughs> Which doesn't sound like much of an improvement. No, it definitely isn't. But it does show society's obsession with princesses, or at least a certain kind of princess. And today's show is all about breaking that stereotype. 
So we're going to be talking about princesses behaving badly, warriors, schemers, charlatans, and a whole lot more. So let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And sitting behind that soundproof glass, wearing a shirt that just says, Inconceivable. <laughs> Which is a nice Princess Bride reference from Tristan over there. <laughs> That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Now, speaking of Princess Bride, do you know how that book was written, Mango? I don't. So the author, William Goldman, he wanted to write a book for his daughters. And they were four and seven years old, I think, at the time. And so he just asked him, like, what should it be about? And one said a princess and the other one said a bride. And so that's how I got his title. <laughs> that's pretty fun. And it's perfect for today's show because it isn't really a sappy princess story, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of my favorites, but uh, but we should jump in. So today on the program, we've got an old friend and one of our favorite writers from our Mental Floss days, Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. Now, she wrote a book called Princesses Behaving Badly, Real Stories from History Without the Fairy Tale Endings, and we can't wait to ask her all about it. So welcome to the show, Linda. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Why don't we start with one of my favorite badass princesses from this lot, who is... Uh, Kudalun, I think. I, I don't know how you pronounce it, but from yeah. Mongolia. Could you tell yes. us a little bit about her? So she was a Mongolian princess. She was um, she was a relative of Genghis Khan. She was the great-great-granddaughter of Genghis Khan. She was the only girl in a family of 14 boys, and she was impressive. I mean, she, <laughs> you know, Marco Polo, who's the, you know, the famous Venetian traveler and, and chronicler, um, he saw her in action. And one of the things that she was particularly good at, she was, you know, she was, she was an excellent archer and an excellent horsewoman. And those were things that were sort of fairly common to Mongolian culture at the time, even among women, but she was an amazing wrestler. She could not be beaten. And supposedly by the time Marco Polo saw her, she had amassed a herd of like 10,000 horses because the, the common thing to do was to bet horses on the outcome of this match. And so she would just always win. And so she got more and more horses. And, you know, so by the time that Marco Polo finds her, um, the rumors got around and, and that she refused to marry anyone who couldn't beat her on the wrestling mat. And so at that point, she was still unmarried. And that was kind of getting a little bit sticky, a little complicated for her family. Um, but from what the historical record seems to show, she never was beaten. And she eventually just chose to marry someone even though they couldn't beat her on the wrestling mat. So, and, and Linda, part, part of the amazing thing about her dominance in wrestling is it actually affected the clothes that athletes wear, right? Yeah, supposedly now, even in uh, today, when Mongolian men wrestle, they wear this kind of long-sleeved vest that's open in the front to show their opponents that they don't have breasts. And supposedly it's meant as a tribute to the, the female wrestler who was never defeated. Yeah, that's pretty great. And, you know, obviously, Kudalun is, is, is certainly one of our favorites from the book. I mean, do you have a favorite warrior princess? I know there's so many to choose from, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious if in doing the research for the book, there was one that just really stuck out to you. Well, one of my absolute favorites is Alfield, the pirate princess. So she's <laughs> there isn't a lot of great evidence that she actually existed, but I just love her story. Um, she was a um, she was a princess of the fifth century, 
and daughter of a of a goth king. So this is all sort of out of the like, you know, icy, cold Scandinavian north. And she's certainly in the tradition of the kind of shield maiden warrior princess model. Um, and her story starts a little bit funny because she's she is meant to be so beautiful that she was forced by her family to cover her face lest she provoke the men around her into just, you know, conniptions of lust or whatever they thought was going to happen. Um, <laughs> and she was given by her father, the king, she was given a viper and a snake to rear, um, wishing to defend her chastity by the protection of these reptiles when they came to grow up. So basically she has these two deadly reptiles <laughs> as her guard animals. Um, and the idea was that, you know, if somebody could get through that, then then maybe he could be worthy of her. Um, and eventually someone did. And <laughs> this is the part that kind of cracks me up because the guy who eventually was able to kill both of the snakes and make it alive to to Alfield um, was named Alf. So if they got married, they would have been Alf and Alfield. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but where the story starts to kind of veer away from the whole sort of, you know, oh, princess in a castle rescued by the, the handsome prince thing is that um, she was given the decision once once he made it through killed pets. Um, she was <laughs> given the decision. Do you actually want to marry him or not? And she actually chose not to and instead became a pirate with a crew of lady pirates with her. And they tore up and down the, the Baltic Sea around the coast, and she amassed a, a flotilla. I mean, she basically came, became like a pirate admiral. And um, I, I just I, I just love this idea of her sort of, you know, being like, I could get married or I could be a pirate. Right. <laughs> and that's just way more fun. And so, you know, this is also kind of one of the, like, ancient meet-cute stories because – Alf, of course, has never forgotten about this this beautiful maiden who, um, you know, was so chaste and so modest and yet spurned his advances and decided to become a pirate, take to the sea, that he's been following her. He's been trying to find her. And eventually he comes across this, this you know, this flotilla of, of pirate ships, of, of kind of Viking pirate ships, right? And in his head, he's thinking like, right, nothing will keep me from my love. I know I'm so close to her. I'm going to find her. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I just got to get to these pirates first. So they're fighting. He's fighting on the deck. He's found the pirates. And he accidentally knocks off one of the pirates' helmet, and it's her! It's <laughs> And so, you know, and then, and then the story gets a little bit, like, a little bit disappointing because, oh, they got married. And, and not long <laughs> after that, Elf got on her a son. So it's, you know, that's a little bit disappointing. But the start of the story is is really, really exciting. And the fact that she was able to kind of pursue her own destiny in a way that was was different, certainly, to other women and was kind of contrary to that, that what would later become an established fairy tale story, I, I think it's really compelling and kind of fun. And I, th I think I'm going to choose to believe that that was true. Let's just go with this as a as a real story. <laughs> I, I want to believe that she's a, a, a real person. I mean, the story came out uh, like 600 years after this was meant to happen and in a sort of, you know, a history that also included, it was like a history of the Danes that also included like giants and dragons and other things that were probably not true. I'm going to go ahead and say. <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, yeah. 
So uh, one of the things we've been fascinated in recent culture is like watching things like uh, Downton Abbey or, or even like Prince Harry's engagement where these like commoners sort of marry in. And uh, and I was curious about this story that you tell about Clara Ward, who's, I guess, hails from Detroit. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah. Um, Clara Ward was, I mean, her, her story is very, very much in line with a lot of what was happening at the end of the 19th century. Um, essentially, Europe was a, a Europe was a tough place to be. Um, the sort of the national borders were changing all the time. Um, the fortunes of the European aristocrats were tumbling. And at the same time, America was ascending in a big way. And particularly, um, American wealth was was becoming very, very attractive. And so you, you saw a lot of these marriages between European aristocrats and American heiresses. And so essentially the heiresses were bringing the money and the aristocrats were bringing these sort of, you know. Titles. The titles, <laughs> yeah. And the social standing and, and all of that, that seemed sort of very, very important then. And Clara Ward, who was the daughter of a uh, American industrialist, um, she came from Detroit. She, her, her mother seems to have really wanted that life for her. And starting when she was in her teens, had her educated in London, in Italy, in France. And the sort of most notable thing about those times was that Clara Ward got kicked out of every single school she went to and <laughs> was described as sort of far too wild to, to ever fit in into this kind of European society. But she eventually did marry. Um, she was very young. She was, you know, in her teens still when she married the Prince Caramon de Chimay. Um, she was a Belgian prince. And they stayed together sort of, it, it wasn't a good match. I mean, as, as much as you can sort of, you know, assume from a lot of these these marriages of wealth and title, People weren't always in it for love. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly weren't in it for love. So Clara was 17 years old when she met Prince Joseph de Carman Chimay. He was the son of the Belgian foreign affairs minister. He was in serious debt, but of course he had this, this title. And they got married in Paris in 1890. Her dress costs like, like $10,000, I mean, which is just an insane amount of money in, you know, in 1890. Um, once they were married, they traveled to all of the sort of European hotspots. They were in the Belgian court. Um, they went to the Riviera, they went to Paris, they went all over the place. And she, you know, had two children this time. But it was clear from the reports that she was not happy um, and that her relationship with her husband which had, you know, from the beginning not been great, was getting worse and that she was potentially cheating on him and he didn't really care enough to stop her. Um, things really came to the head when she was in the Belgian court and evidently she says that uh, King Leopold II showed so much attention to her to, that she was shunned by the rest of the court and became <laughs> a sort of social pariah. And I think at that point, really kind of crystallized her dislike of the European aristocratic circles that she was traveling in. So eventually um, they're now, by the time they, they get to Paris, things are really, you know, we've, we've set the stage for a break between her and her husband and sort of at one of the first kind of best opportunities, she takes it. And that opportunity happened to be a Hungarian gypsy violinist called Rigo Jancy. It's November, 1896. She's at a cafe. She sees him playing his violin. 
They smile at each other. And then 10 days later, she runs away with him. And two months after that, she's divorced from her husband and separated from her children and also forced to pay him alimony for the rest of her life. Wow. She's now free, right? So this, this, like you can imagine too, I mean, this must've been, this was incredibly scandalous at the time. The courtroom for her divorce trial was packed. She didn't actually show up. All of her statements were actually read out <laughs> by her lawyers, but she was just, she was just done with it. And she even said, you know, she said, I wanted to be free. I, I am done with it. I don't think, and she says later on too, that, that American women could not fit in to this kind of lifestyle, that it's too stifling, that it's too petty. And, and she just hated it. But from that point on, she lived her life to the fullest. I mean, she <laughs> was, you know, the, the, she was painted by, um, Henri Toulouse-Lautrec. She was a star of Belle Epoque, France. She, you know, she posed in, in these like skin tight, leotard things with strange <laughs> things on her head, had her pictures taken. She showed her ankles. I mean, she was having a good time. <laughs> so she, she divorced Rigo, got, was involved with someone else, got married again, who I think he was the handsomest man in Naples. I think that was his sort of, you know, claim to fame. <laughs> and then they divorced and she married somebody else. And it, and it sort of, you see that her, you know, interest in her life is perpetual all the way up until the end, but details and actual facts about it are pretty slim on the ground. You don't really get a lot of great, great information about and reliable information about what happens to her after all of these subsequent divorces. But um, she ended up, I mean, sadly, you know, she, she died really young. She was only 43 and she died of pneumonia. And at the time there were all these rumors that she was penniless, that she was completely cut off from her family, that, you know, she had no friends and all these things. And while she may have been very much cut off from society, she wasn't penniless by any means. Um, she was certainly cut off from her children, but she hadn't been completely disowned. And, you know, in, in the end, all of her obituaries just remembered her as this sort of, you know, bright spark that blew out too quickly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you wrote about how she'd been at a convent and she shocked the nuns at the convent and mm -hmm. like she, she was with a waiter and a station manager and like yeah. they just I mean, seemed had, to live crazy. I mean, she had such a remarkable life. And I think it's also kind of difficult, like all the stuff that she's doing is, you know, the kinds of things that if, if were to happen to a modern celebrity, celebrity now, you know, would be equally as interesting. But this is all happening at the turn of the century. This is this is the 1890s to you know the 1910s. I mean, she died in 1916 you know so this is all like like she is she is you know she is a celebrity in the vein of celebrities now but without the kind of machinery around promoting that celebrity so you know there's always kind of wonderful gossip columns and stuff that you read and and the you know the library of congress by the way is a treasure trove and has everything and i found out a lot from all of the newspapers that they had there um but, you know, you can see the beginnings of the seeds of the kinds of celebrities that we have now. And, you know, her claim to fame was that she had a lot of money and she did some crazy things with it. She feels very modern in that regard. But I also just appreciate that she lived the life that she wanted to lead and wasn't going to be put into the boxes that her family wanted her to be in or that the European court wanted her to be in. And 
or even, you know, the public wanted her to be in. She, she, she did her and good on her. <laughs> Well, we have uh, several more fascinating lives that we want to ask you about. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We're talking to Linda Rodriguez-McRobbie, the author of Princesses Behaving Badly. Now, Linda, before we get back to some of the other specific princesses, I, I did appreciate, you know, so many of the side stories and sidebars and other guides that you had in the book. And one of these was a guide to faking princesshood. And I was curious, can you tell us some of the better strategies for pretending you're a royal if you're not actually a royal? <laughs> Uh, well, there are some fantastic examples of people doing that. And um, my favorite, of course, is Princess Caribou, who's in it. But um, it seems like the best way to pretend that you're royal when you're not is to just put your all into it and and say it with confidence. It's sort of like people will believe you more if you just say it really loudly. <laughs> Princess Olive of Cumberland, she wrote her story. This was This was in the early 1800s right around the time in England when the press was becoming really, really powerful. And there were a lot of places where you could get pamphlets printed. And these pamphlets were popular. They were just everywhere. Like pretty much every, it was, it was basically the same thing as having something self-published now. And you, you would see tons of them where, you know, the George Wilson, the Black Keys pedestrian, a man who's walked a thousand miles, like he gets his pamphlet printed and tells his story and sells it. So she had her pamphlet printed and claimed to be Princess Olive of Cumberland, the sort of legitimate, sort of illegitimate, illegitimate daughter of the king's brother. Um, and any time that somebody says these things with confidence, they put it down in paper, they put it down in writing, they tell enough people, they say it with enough power, they use the press, people are going to start to believe it. 
Yeah, and it's, it's amazing. I, I feel like there was one uh, one story in there. I can't remember who, but like there was a, a woman who refused to speak German unless uh, uh, unless a fellow queen or princess spoke it to her. Like, there's such elaborate ways out of yeah. like you know explaining away the reason that you can't speak a language or whatever. It's just it's I, kind of amazing. It's also <laughs> I think because people you know people do want to believe. Like, there's there's I think this is part of the sort of really interesting world that. Um, that royalty inhabits that because it feels so special, the people around you feel special by being connected to you. So if you know that, that that in of itself is enough for people to want to support your idea and to support you in your claim. And, you know, so it becomes this kind of self-perpetuating thing. I mean, it feels, you know, royalty still feels special. So I, I, I want to get back to some of the seedier sides of, of being a princess. <laughs> and uh, and get, can you tell us a little bit about Charlotte of Prussia, who threw a notorious party? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's one of my favorites, too, because I think she's uh, the granddaughter of Queen Victoria, right? So, who you know, we think of Queen Victoria as... Um, you know, Victorian. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, you know, everything about Victoria and the Victorian era is, is buttoned up and prim and proper. But in 1891, Charlotte of Prussia, um, chain smoking princess, Victoria Elizabeth Auguste Charlotte, granddaughter of Queen Victoria, the daughter of the Prussian rulers, the younger sister of Kaiser Wilhelm II, um, through a sex party at a hunting lodge in the woods. And evidently, Dozens of aristocrats showed up. It was, you know, it was drinking and dancing and sex and lots of things going on. And the only reason that people found out about this was that there was someone in in the party that night who leaked the story and started to blackmail the other people who were there. And they could describe in detail some of the naughty things that everybody was up to. And it came out that, um, that Charlotte was the one who had thrown the party and she, you know, had a reputation for being snobby and for being rude. Um, she did not have an academic mindset, so to speak. Um, she was a flirt, you know, so, so there was, there's not a lot going for her. I mean, this was all coming from her own mother too, which is <laughs> not very nice. Rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, after this sex party happened, there was this, this massive blackmail scandal that just rocked the court and, and, um, and became, you know, a really, really, really big scandal. There was a police investigation that lasted years and eventually it came out that it was the Kaiser's brother-in-law and his French mistress who were behind the blackmail of the, the sexy aristocratic swinger party. Uh, but even by that time, you know, Charlotte's reputation was already in shreds. It wasn't going to it wasn't going anywhere good. You know, there's, <laughs> there's one other scandal I wanted to ask you about as well. Uh, but before we get to that, let's take a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education selection and value like diamonds direct your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at diamonds direct won't last long details at diamondsdirect.com your credit card should match your lifestyle at kemba financial credit union choose a card with benefits that work for you for a limited time all cards have two percent cash back on purchases and zero percent interest on balance transfers for a year apply at kemba.org restrictions apply offer ends june 30th 2024 All right, Linda, so we were talking about scandals before, and, and actually there's another one I've been wanting to ask you about, about Princess Margaret, you know, the princess who may have actually caused the bank robbery. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, okay, so if anybody's seen the movie The Bank Job, I think it came out in, I want to say 2008. It's the Jason Statham movie. <laughs> so you'll be, you'll be familiar with the story from that, but, but it is based on a, a real thing that happened. So. Um, in 1971, a, a gang of thieves dug into the safety deposit vault, box vault at Lloyd's Bank um, here in London. It was around Baker Street in Marlebone. So Sherlock Holmes area, by the way, um, and made off with huge amounts of money. I mean, untold amounts of money because, you know, people put things in safety deposit boxes that they don't necessarily want other people to know about. And eventually the men were caught. Um, four men were arrested and jailed for the crime. But the mastermind behind the the whole thing was never actually arrested. The thing that was weird about this and the thing that got people talking was that um, Four days after the the incident, four days after the robbery itself, the newspapers stopped talking about it. And the, I mean, the British newspapers don't stop talking about anything unless it's you know completely dead and buried and in the ground. So what people started to say was that the authorities had put a D notice, basically a, a gag order, preventing the media from talking about what might have happened. In because on the theory that the whole heist was actually set up by MI5 to steal compromising photographs of Princess Margaret. It was supposedly photos of her having a threesome, quite possibly with a, a gangster called John Binden. Nobody really knew. But I mean, even even without the, the whole bank job thing, you know, Margaret's life was kind of both tragic and also scandalous and also sort of evocative of the changes that were rocking the, the British monarchy at the time, um, changing social mores, all those things. You know, I think it's really worth noting that Margaret was 
prevented from marrying the first person that she loved, marrying the man that she wanted to marry because he was divorced. And at the time, the the church, you know, the queen is the head of the church here in this country. The church could not allow her to marry someone who had been divorced. So it's really worth noting that Prince Harry is marrying someone who is divorced. It's really significant to show in just two generations how much things have changed from what it was like in the 1970s and before and to, to what it's like now. All right, Linda. So what do you want people to come away with when, when reading about these princesses in your book? I think the biggest thing that I want people to realize is that underneath the title of princess, there's a, a person, a real living, breathing or formerly breathing human being who made good decisions and made bad decisions, who had feelings and sometimes loved the wrong people, sometimes did the right thing, sometimes did the wrong thing for the right reasons or the right thing for the wrong reasons. These were humans. And I I think the the most important thing is that, you know, there are so many princesses in this book, right? I mean, I, I really was just jamming them in because there are so many women whose stories are not being told. And I want people to see this book as an invitation to find out more about those women. Yeah. And and there's so many that we didn't get to today. I mean, there's a great story of a punk princess or, you know, the mafia princess Lucretia. It was such a fascinating story. You know, she she wore a hollow ring full of poison that she could pour into somebody's drink at any time. But, <laughs> Supposedly. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the hollow ring story. But uh, there's so many. And I hope our listeners will all check out the book Princesses Behaving Badly, Real Stories from History Without the Fairy Tale Endings. Belinda, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Do we, do we forget Jason? Jason who? Get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. 
your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.